This is Michael Zuber, and I just wanted to thank you for listening to my One Rental at a Time podcast. Did you know that I took the time to document the entire process I used to learn my market and actually still use today? I released it as a $199 online course via Teachable, and it is called How to Get Started One Rental at a Time. With that, you get access to my private Facebook group and can join our group mentoring calls every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific. You can find it on my website at onerentalatatime.com. Now on with the show. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing today? Michael Zuber with One Rental at a Time. And as I mentioned in the daily financial news this morning, I was teasing this interview. I told you we were interviewing someone who I considered to be real estate royalty, especially when it comes to (laughs) California. And, uh, you know, this individual I often call a data nerd uh, because he's in the thick of it, which is something you need to be when you're in real estate. But let's welcome Aaron Norris to the show. How are you doing, buddy? I'm good. (laughs) Nice to be here. That's awesome, man. So um, I guess we'd be remiss if we didn't kind of just give a quick background on on yourself and the Norris Group and and all this stuff you guys have been doing for 40 years, 35 years. I mean, real estate royalty in California is not a joke. You know, dad started the Norris Group officially in 97, and it was selfishly started because he was borrowing so much money, he just started started a hard money loan division. I moved back from New York in 04. Mm-hmm. I was a performer based out of New York and fell into Wall Street doing acquisition and merger presentation between gigs. Uh, never thought I'd move back to California, but mom got cancer. I moved back to be with family and I actually didn't go right to the Norris Group. I went back to, um, I worked for a builder, fell in love with construction and development and I was about to go back to Wall Street. Uh, when dad said, I want to write this report called the California crash. Yep. And I had already helped him with reports because of all of my experience on wall street doing all these charting. So he just thought that was the coolest thing. So we created a 400 page book, uh, took two days to give of why we were telling everybody to get out of California. We were selling everything and slowing down our lending. And yeah, that was sort of my introduction to real estate. <laughs> yeah. And, and what people don't know is, is I've actually referenced it in my book, right? Over my shoulder, one rental at a time. It was one of your sessions. Uh, I believe it was in San Jose, might've been Santa Clara, right? It was uh, Geraldine, uh, mm. Geraldine's event. Oh, Jer. Oh yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, I heard Bruce speak and you were there and this report, I'm like, And again, I'm a California investor. I've been here for 20 years. My market is Fresno, California. So not the Bay, right? A lot of that talk was about the Bay being overpriced. This notion of affordability index was like, aha. It was like, oh my God, I got to go look that up. I have no idea what it is in Fresno. And uh, lo and behold, it was uh, right at what is the bottom of the range. And I'm like, honey, you know, I never heard of this Bruce guy, but he seems pretty smart. This, that Aaron guy, <laughs> I, I think they, I think they're on to something. I, I like data because at the time we were feeling it was overpriced, right? So the first house I wrote about, we bought for 107. They were now trading close to 300, but the rents didn't change, right? So as a cash flow investor, I'm like, right, I can't buy anymore. And now I have, you know, the yeah. Norris Group telling me, time to get out. Let's go. We ended up doing a whole bunch of 1031s. We got into apartments right before the crash. So I've said it. To you privately, I referenced you in the book, but I just want to thank you once again for saving my family from financial destruction in the California crash. So thank you very much. 
Well, it's my pleasure. And it's one of my goals in life. Um, I think one of the most, the coolest letters I ever got to read was an investor telling my father that, thank you for not only changing my life, but generations within the family. And I think that's sort of the mission that I've adopted. Like if I'm yeah. going to do it, I want to change generations. Forget this one at a time. So <laughs> it's, it's so yeah. fun. And, and data, I, I just, I, as a creative, I've been very surprised that I really enjoy the data. Now working with Property Radar and Sean, mm -hmm. I have access to billions of public records and over 200 different asset fields, sorry, criteria fields. And it's just so interesting as I interview people around the country, investors, how they use data in different ways and the yeah. special niches that are very specific to markets. It's so fun. It's yeah. super nerdy. We're, we are we are definitely going to get into that uh, that aspect and that'll be the lion's share of the conversation. But for the folks that don't know the Norris Group, again, they saved me. They protected my family. We got out. Uh, but then an interesting thing happened after the crash. You wrote another report. I think it was called the California Comeback. I might have it wrong. Uh, but that was like, uh, time to go all in. Yeah, we in 2009, the Norris Group, I was uh, partly in charge of raising hard money. Mm -hmm. I think we were the first in California to raise eight year long term money. Yeah, um, it was a hard money program. I think at the time it was 9.9%. It was because we're like, guys, this is it was below replacement cost. We know yeah. that you're scared. But this this doesn't make sense. And so yeah. that's when I started buying. I had never been in real estate. Listen, yeah. when I retire, you know, at 65, my actors union is gonna pay me $165 a month. I spent my 20s as an actor in New York City. Yeah. So I had some catch-up to do. So from buying my primary to starting to acquire rentals, man, I, I hear this all the time and I'm the same. I wish I would have bought more. But yeah. oh well, shoulda, coulda, woulda. But yeah, we told everybody now's the time. And it was really fun. It was really hard. Yeah. to raise that money at that time. But yeah, we we did a fairly decent job helping investors buy a lot of inventory and especially secondary and tertiary markets. Um, yes, like we did Inland up Empire. to Bakersfield, yeah. we did Lancaster, we did the Inland Empire. We didn't do things like Barstow. We never got up to Fresno. Nope. Um, we started Sacramento late, but man, it's been, I just sold one of the condos that I bought at 4X in eight years. And it, and it was unwarrantable. So the thing that I'm doing right now is I'm, I don't, well, maybe we'll get there, yeah, but yeah. It, it's interesting. I'd love to hear what people are doing with their stuff. I'm yeah. doing something very specific. Yeah. I yeah, I have, I'm an open book. We'll, we'll definitely get into that. So again, kind of relating my book, cause my audience, most of them have read the book, right? First, the Norris group saved us. Then it's like, go all in. We start doing a bunch of private money at the same time. The one thing that I actually wrote in the book, <clears throat> because you know, you said you wish you bought more. One of the things I remember reading all the books from the 80s, right? The 80s SNL crash and all of that was everybody said they wanted to buy more. So one thing I'm still proud to say today is we closed every deal we could, right? So we, uh, Olivia great. and I, yeah, we, we have no regrets. We mortgaged a car, we borrowed from 401k, we went from friends and family and uh, yeah, stuff's up, you know, four five, six, 10x in, in some cases. So uh, it, it definitely worked yeah. out. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I've heard the 10x and uh, you know Tony Alvarez? I do. Yeah, of course. The REO mentor. Dad just Yes, Dad just um Dad just did a presentation in Florida to the local RIA down there and he was doing some research on the houses that he finished in 2005 in Rosemont in California. Sure. Where he specifically got out right before we did the California crash. They the last one I think sold for around 220. Okay. And Tony bought in that neighborhood for 30 grand. There's houses <laughs> in that neighborhood now 
they're listed for 350 grand. Exactly. It's it's insane. So they've 10x in less than 10 years. Bananas. Same. Yeah. So again, this yeah. is this is the whole crisis. This is the Norris Group again. Started in '97. Uh, data nerds look at it. Uh, affordability index. I talk about it at least weekly on my channel, pe telling people to, to go look at it. But look at it not as a data point, but it's the historical, right? What is it doing in your market, right? It's it's mm -hmm. it, it it's one of those indicators that, you know, the canary in the coal mine or whatever. At least tells you when prices are getting stretched. Yeah, and it is confusing. People always ask about that, like, hey, can you get down to the zip code level of affordability? And <laughs> I know one of dad's things is like, listen, I look at a statewide number at 17% affordability. And actually in the newsletter that uh, my dad just did, uh, California Association of Realtors just came out with the affordability numbers and it's 27. Last year it was 28. Yeah. And so he did some exploration on how they came up with that number and come to find out, you know, California is losing the lower socioeconomic run, they're, uh, uh, rung, mm -hmm. they're moving out of the state and we yep. are attracting higher income. That changes the affordability number. So yeah. uh, we've got some buoyancy there, um, but you know, he's been talking a lot about all your eggs in one basket. It's about ending up with the portfolio that you're comfortable yeah. with, no matter what the market does. If it goes up, if it goes down, just that's not why you're in it. Yeah. Yeah, long-term buy and hold, one rental at a time, guy. When you when you get the financing right, when you got the cash flow right, you really again. I almost think net worth is an unimportant number, right? It's, it's something you may brag with your friends, but I spend my net. I spend right. cash flow, not net income. Or I'm sorry, net worth. Well, that's the smart way to do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty fun. Yeah, so, like trying to buy rentals right now is not very easy. In no, that's for sure. Today, yeah, yeah, I haven't. Uh, I haven't got an on, so I, my whole portfolio until I retired was built out of the MLS, right? Just a guy looking every day, right? Multiple listing service, right? Uh, haven't done that in about a year and a half. Haven't gotten one. <laughs> yeah. The last rental that I, I personally purchased in California was 2014. That's my favorite. Um, but the, the important thing for me is to, since this is my first full cycle, mm -hmm. I started getting in condos. I'm tired of condos. I'm done with condos. Yeah. Um, especially since uh, I had a few that were unwarrantable. So it's about 1031 exchanging into things that I love. And I am looking at the cash flow yeah. perspective and looking at, I, I love new inventory. I've just learned. So building houses to rent in Florida, yep. taking that condo in Corona, California, that 4X, that's <laughs> unwarrantable. And I got to get rid of it before the lenders go, you know what? Maybe we're being too aggressive. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah lenders do change their mind. I right? <laughs> They do it. And you know what? Is Forex enough for me? Yeah, I actually honestly didn't think that this particular condo and I'm sitting on a bunch of repairs. And yeah, so exactly. being able to turn that into a brand new house that's going to rent for, I think I'm actually going to do co-living in Florida with okay. this particular property. And it's going to probably rent for at least $1,500 more. And there's not a $365 HOA. Exactly. So it, I'm just repositioning. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's fun. And I'm thank God real estate. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Well, let's talk about that. Cause you, you're, you and your family have made a move. I believe your dad actually physically relocated uh, from Southern California to Florida, mm -hmm. right? Not all your eggs in one basket. Um, California was mm -hmm. really good to the Norris group for a long time. Right. Decades you know what? Making, We're but... still lending. Oh yeah. The Norris Group is still lending. Um, I am full-time at Property Radar. I'm right. dealing with an illness right now. So I am healing from open heart surgery at the moment. 
but um, I, I work with Property Radar full time, uh, teach nationwide, yeah. work with media nationwide, which I know we'll talk about. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the, the Norris Group still lends in Florida and California. We're doing a lot more flipping, but we also do refis on longer term stuff. So people that are maybe pulling out money to renovate it to get top dollar, um, sell, you know, yeah. leverage one rental to fix up others to get top dollars on uh, 1031 exchanging out of the state. Yeah half of the people that I've talked to probably over the last three years that are really being careful about moving around half are just like California has been rad. It's done its job for me. I can retire. I want boring. And the other half, they just don't appreciate the political environment. And it's been, especially during COVID oh. been a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. So I hear a lot of complaints from landlords saying, I don't want all my eggs in the California basket just from the political standpoint. Oh, for sure. We, we have been the one, micro group that uh, everybody was okay attacking let's go hit those guys let's go get them that's that's what it's felt like in california well and it really bothers me because it's really um you've got uh, gavin newsom you know came into office talking about affordable housing how much he was going to build la's mayor did the same thing and, and they failed mm -hmm. and it's not all their fault you know housing and urban development doesn't happen within cute little election cycles. Yeah. It's a very long process. Um, I've been working with some media on that. They, uh, they're very interested in, you know, coastal regions moving inland a little bit. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, some cities have done a really good job building assets where people really want to move there, but that doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. You've really got to do some really good planning and you have to have great leadership, but there is no, I think there's only a handful of cities in the entire state of California that are actually meeting their affordable housing goals. So I've been teaching accessory dwelling units for over two years now. And I'm just telling people, listen, landlords, if you're an existing landlord with property, you have to look at ADUs because mm -hmm. you can't buy anything for Agreed. the average price of an accessory dwelling unit is around 150 grand. If you can build one and rent it out for you know 1800, you, you're not gonna buy a rental in any area, maybe Barstow, I don't know. <laughs> maybe, um, maybe. For those numbers. <laughs> yeah. And you're going to play a very important role. I really think the different cities are going to start having to play ball because what a lot of people don't appreciate is if they don't hit their affordable housing number, the state is starting to look at taking away things like CDBG funds, like actual funding from the cities and the counties mm. who don't meet those goals. So I know for here in the city of Riverside, uh, before I had my surgery last month, I was supposed to teach on ADUs and tell the community that was complaining about accessory dwelling units. I'm like, listen, if you don't play ball, you're worried about one unit in the back. Here's Berkeley. Here's Minneapolis. Let's talk about cities getting rid of single family zoning because they're so desperate for housing. Yeah. So you're worried about a one unit next door when maybe you should be worried about an eight plex next door. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which one do you want? Yeah. That's it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Eight, right. eight, and eight, probably the most. I was going to say ADUs are an interesting thing. I think they did. I, again, one of the, one of the few things I give Gavin Newsom credit for. Because uh, again, you got to give the guy top of the blame. You got to give him the credit when it comes out was the ADU edition. I think it was 2020 when that came out. Unfortunately, my experience to date is the appraisers, right? You borrow, you build it. You're not getting kind of the burr, right? You're not able to recycle the cash into this new asset. Appraisers aren't quite valuing them, what I'll call correctly yet. Yeah, especially because it's harder to find comparable sales. Mm -hmm. And so where I think it works 
where we've funded some flipping uh, with ADUs that is certainly difficult. Mm -hmm. And what an appraiser will do is come in and create an average square foot because they can't find a comparable sale. Um, and when you're building an ADU, the most expensive rooms are in a smaller space, the kitchen and the bathroom. So it's a higher dollar per square foot. So it doesn't work in your favor. So the biggest success stories that I've seen are investors that are um, doing these on existing rental properties that they bought early on. Yeah. They're pulling out cash, they're building these and creating more cash flows on stuff they love and they're going to hold long-term and they're being smart. I created a term called Cramlord. Don't be oh. a Cramlord. Don't ruin the value of your property because you're doing a really crappy job designing uh -huh. them. Um, watch what people are doing with like corner lot rentals where you can basically, you know, divide it and perfectly to where it feels like two separate units. Agreed. Why ruin the value of the livability of both tenants as well as ruin the value of your property because you do it wrong. So I also just, I'm a huge advocate for industry and I don't want investors to screw up the opportunity. <laughs> I agree. I be, I mean, just again, right. We're talking real life, right? ADUs would be a big part of my portfolio. Uh, I'm lucky enough to have bought, let's just call it dozens of homes in 2010 when they were below land value. So I've already penciled out. Mm -hmm. I have a running list in the order that I'm going to be adding ADUs. Uh, once Good for we, you. Once we come out, we got to get uh, lumber down a little bit. I'm not going to pay those crazy prices. So. <laughs> yeah, I think that will level out, but now I'm worried about wages. Wages yeah. are next, unfortunately. Well, I don't mind that. Wage inflation is good for me as a landlord. It means rents go up. That's true. You know, I didn't really think about that, but building ADUs are probably not going to get cheaper, unfortunately. It just might yeah, swap that's out. True. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. That's very true. Well, hey, one of the things I, I wanted to spend a lot of the time on is the fact that you enjoy being called a data nerd. Cause I don't, there's not, there's my opinion only, not yours. Uh, there's a lot of emotion in real estate investing. Mm. I like uh, herd mentality, FOMO. There's not a lot of data guys. And I do believe the, you know, the data can give you a trend. It can flash early warning signals. It can flash going all in as we've talked about California crash, California comeback. Um, you just did a report that was highlighted in Bloomberg, I believe, um, about kind of what uh, yeah. they're doing. Let's talk about that. I, I ended up contacting Bloomberg about some of the research I've been doing. I've been teaching on iBuyers for some time. You're just as likely to see me in Las Vegas at the Consumer Electronics Show. At one point, I was writing for Forbes and Bigger Pockets and Think Realty Magazine. And I'm sort of this weird data meets technology merges with the real estate space. I'm just, I'm really interested in trends and where we're going as a society. Yeah. I almost went back to school for urban planning. I just find it, I'm just fascinated by it. So wow. the iBuyer model, I think is brilliant. Um, they definitely took clues from Main Street. Mm. Um, they're vertically integrating all the services. So if you don't know what iBuyers are, just really quick, because they're mm. not in every market. Um, they're these technology giants that are worth billions of dollars that are buying houses, all cash with flexible close dates behind the scenes. They're doing marketing like any Main Street investors. They're doing everything from billboards to mailers, um, offering a cash price, and they're very aggressive. If they're in your market and they're competing against each other, in some cases, it looks like they're offering full market value. Wow. And so you've got companies like Zillow, Open Door, Knock, um, oh gosh, offer pad mm -hmm. every state has a different mix like arizona where it's like ground zero for them they're all there where right. california we used to have all of them in like the inland empire but offer pad left mm -hmm. and then you've you've got realtor brands like realogy and keller williams threatening to launch their own variation of this mm -hmm. but it's just an option of 
the fast cash offer, and especially in this market with buyers having such sellers having such a hard time moving up to the next transaction because it's yeah. so competitive, it provides a service because it frees up cash for their next transaction. So mm. uh, it's tricky. Um, but the vertical integration of services, let's take Zillow as an example. Yep. They launched their own mortgage company. They have the closing uh, company dot loop that they have. Um, they have broker services and agents now, and they also have advertising. So, I mean, I think the goal is at one point is once a consumer touches their ecosystem, they may never have to touch another real estate brand, maybe in their lifetime, if exactly. it's a good enough experience. I don't know. That's definitely. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, part of my passion is just getting Main Street to wake up and say, this is what's going on. Like, <laughs> you better know. And and the buy box is really different. So be careful when somebody talks, even at the statewide level in generalities about iBuyers, because it's changed. Yeah. OfferPad in 2017, when they started in the Inland Empire, they would do like beautiful renovations. They're not even in the area anymore. Uh, the stuff that I see Zillow and Open Door taking down, you're lucky if you get paint and carpet, at least in California. Um, and they're they're skewing more towards newer stuff yep. that just needs very little work, very little work. So in LA, I've seen them Open Door take the, or Redfin uh, take a, a million dollar condo down. We're in the Inland Empire, you know, in Palm Springs is probably the most expensive thing that you're going to see, and it's like six hundred grand. So yep. it just really varies. And as a real estate investor, you just have to make a decision. Are you going to compete directly with them? Are you going to sell them what they want? Because yes, I do have investors that are wholesaling. Oh yeah. Going after properties that they know the iBuyers won't tackle because they have people or property problems. Or are you going to create a, you know, a new niche completely yeah. and go after something they don't want? That's, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. But again, what I'm, what I'm really excited about the iBuyers is just proof that you can be this unique individual where technology and real estate experience and design all come together. Mm. That kind of is, is the iBuyer. But for me, as somebody who's still looking to grow, right, adding rentals, what I, need to, what I always need to figure out is what do they want? Because I don't want to compete with them. You know, like, so in my market, yeah. they've never, for example, they don't touch old product, right? They definitely skew new. But for example, they don't buy two bedrooms. They're like, they just don't buy them, right? They mm -mm. don't buy three, four bedrooms. So I was always going in trying to figure out what do they not want so I can buy around them. Because again, yeah, they're playing pretty close to ARV. So more acquisitions, more comps, it just kind of raises, you know, raises the, the raises all ships. Yeah, and a property radar, you know, I teach data nationwide to investors that sometimes they don't realize how to play a better data game. Yeah. Like we should never be blanket farming like, yeah. why are you marketing to people that just bought in the last year? What are the chances that they want to talk to you? Yeah. Um, you know, sending the wrong messaging or, or bifurcating your, your messaging from a landlord to a owner occupant who's been in a property a long time or going after real estate investors that have a portfolio that are over the age of 70. Yep. You know, like we can be a lot more strategic. And I love, love, love to see the different ways that investors use data. I have some investors that use property radar that only call off the data. They don't do mailers. They don't do paid ads. Yeah. I mean, they're yeah. just really good at on, on the phone. So yeah. yeah, I, I just, I love our industry and the different ways that people use data. And I can't tell you how much I've learned just the podcast that I run yeah. interviewing investors, stuff I would have never thought about. It's so cool. Yeah. That's awesome. One of the things I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about, cause there's a lot of, you know, if you're, you've been in the game for a long time, there's a lot of new podcasts or YouTube channels folks that only have three, four, five years experience on them. So they've only known a market that's kind of one direction, right? They don't have the full cycle experience yet. 
One of the most common quotes I see today, which I think is dangerously wrong, uh, just because how uninformed it is, is, hey, look at the price in 2021. It's the same price as 2008. Thus, a crash needs to happen. And they, you know, they started saying these last year. And I'm like, guys, that's not even, what are you talking about? Can you, can you go into that a little? Yeah, there's so many different variables that are happening. Um, some of it I don't have the data for. Like as an example, I have a lot of Gen X friends. I'm, I'm a Zennial. I'm at the tail end of Gen X. And I have a lot of my friends who just have gotten into home ownership in the last few years in the state of California. Yeah, You've got millennials who are finally uh, building households. So as this large generation, they're finally looking at home ownership during a pandemic where they want more space to educate and work. Yeah. So they're all, you know, two bedrooms might not be what you want yeah. for rentals right now, but you know, you might even have people that got hurt during the last downheard fight, finally rethinking home ownership after maybe True. experiencing a foreclosure in 07 to 09. You've got seniors that are aging in place, not moving as much. Maybe California's new law changes will change that with people being able to move their basis. We'll, yeah, we'll have see. to wait and see. But um, yeah, there's definitely not going to be foreclosures. Yeah. Um, you know, if you bought last year, you're looking at a 20% increase in price. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it's called it a, a sale, a sale that you don't want to have, but yeah. uh, it's not a foreclosure. Yeah. yeah. And again, no short I, sales needed. Yeah. It's just, it's just, if you're, if you are looking at real estate and thinking that price is the number, the, like the most important number, it's not. Right. For, for most people, it's the largest investment they ever made, but it's financed. It's the interest rate. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. So during the, the people were getting six to eight uh, percent at the end of the tail end of the last exactly. run. They're getting six to eight percent mortgages. And now homeowners are getting two to three percent. And it's a very different ballgame. It's a very different. Uh, incomes have gone up. Exactly. So incomes are different than they were a decade ago. Um, yeah. So it's that payment thing. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're listening, I mean, there were, there were plenty of people out there nine months ago talking about a 40% real estate crash in 2021. And I, I, I was willing to bet 10 grand donated to any charity they wanted and nobody took me up on it. Um, but anyways, uh, now I just saw, I think it was, yeah, I think, go ahead. No, I think there could definitely, it could soften. It could change at any moment. There's a lot of different variables, but yeah, a big crash. Like last time I, I saw that online, like a, an economist posted something about, uh, something about a crash or something i'm all we had an equation the last we had a, a, a playbook that said you know what we know that your house went down by half its value we'll just extend it by a 40 50 year term we'll change your interest rate like we have the playbook when your value goes down by half and now there <laughs> our prices have gone crazy i don't i don't think the federal government under the current administration is going to go you know what sounds amazing let's let's have a huge foreclosure wave right now yeah it's not <laughs> just, it's just I, not I don't i don't see it well, last yeah. time it was strategic default. Remember that strategic default people that could make payments just yeah. said, Nope, I'm not going to do it. Banks kind of enforced it because they didn't want to talk to you until you were 90 days late today. It's avoidable foreclosure. Check this box. No payments, right? Talk about entirely banks just handling the situation differently. Well, yeah. So if you're a bank and you've got, uh, there are people in forbearance right now, they're not even showing up on a foreclosure chart. Yeah because every state has sort of done different things when it comes to the foreclosure process, but okay, you're a bank. You could just as easily go back to the consumer and just be like, hey, global pandemic, nobody's fault. You yeah. owe this money, you promised to pay. Your property value has gone up by 30%. You know, let's, we're gonna create something, but you need to get on a plan. Yeah. 
Yep. So they could recast a loan, pretend not not pretend that this year didn't happen, but tack it onto the back. It'll be a find back. a way to make money too. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It's just not going to happen. There's there's no crash yeah. coming. And I think it was Zillow this morning. I, I just wondered what you thought of this. They were doing April to April, which is a really odd time. Maybe I don't know why. So April of 21 to April of 2022, they were saying, you know what? Our crystal ball, which is good or bad, is both of yours and I's. But they see 11.8 percent national appreciation you know, in the next 11 months, feel a little. Rich. Oh, oh, in the next, in the, over the next year. So yes. 22. Yeah, oh, 22. Thinking, yeah. Yeah. You know what? And it's, it's so interesting watching all these secondary and tertiary cities as yeah. people sort of rethink their urban. Listen, I'm a, a diehard New Yorker. My family sort of has a lot of history there. Um, the people who want to live in a city are not, I think cities are going to do fine. Yes. Um, but when you're living in San Jose, uh, at what is it? A $1.6 million median price. Correct. I have realtors report. I think it was Patrick Ferry and I talked about talking to people moving down to San Diego because it's close to the international airport. Yeah. San Diego's median price is 800,000. Oh. That buys a lot of first-class tickets to San Jose when you need to go. <laughs> exactly. So, so the conversation, uh, I'm actually having more conversations with media about people sort of moving around the state to areas with more space. Yeah. So, Space is so good. the coastal regions in the inland, um, and a lot of these inland cities have been smart. I live in the city of Riverside, and this is super nerdy. I don't expect people to know this, but right before the last downturn, the city of Riverside uh, raised two billion dollars in something called the Riverside Renaissance. Huh. They got lucky uh, before the crash even happened. They didn't know it was coming. They raised two billion dollars to do things like renovate the old historic Fox Theater, oh. did a ton of infrastructure project, bridges, bridges and roads a new library. I mean, they did a ton of stuff to where now these folks looking, you know, living in LA sort of saying, I'd like to actually own something with more space. They're looking at Riverside and being like, this isn't so terrible. Actually, Riverside is pretty good. Yeah, look at that. (laughs) Sacramento gets a bad name too. I think Sacramento and Riverside feel very much like that. I know Fresno gets a bad rap too, but some of these cities have great leadership who have really invested over the last 15 years and have done it right. And they're ready to grow. Yeah. I'm, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy where I'm at in Fresno and I'm still looking to add, still looking to grow. So, uh, that's, that's what's the population of Fresno right now. So Fresno city is over half a million. It's actually bigger than Sacramento. Uh, and it's a million when you, the kind of Fresno County, right? So it's, it's, it's no joke. Not just raisins anymore. Not just raisins, right? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I've been there 20 years. It's a mixed economy. It doesn't have one thing that kind of makes it go right. doesn't have a tech crash or anything like that it's been it's been good incomes are up populations up it's uh wow appreciation in real estate Oof, crazy crazy times so um one other thing that i think is interesting now that i would just i want people to hear from a data nerd is wall street's woken up to the single family housing market right legacy said too crazy can't scale too diverse However, what they realized in the housing crash is, oh my God, I can buy a hundred at a time. I can buy an entire book of, of foreclosures. Now they have scale, right? I think it's, um, I forget the big one, American Homes or whatever it is. And, yeah. and now they're doing, they're, I, this is a prediction. I'm curious what you think of this. I believe some Wall Street firm, could be a big one, could be a small one. They're about to buy a builder. Might be a private builder but or public. And they're just going to turn them into their arm for building rent build for rent communities because uh, they're just going to build whole tracks of rentals. 
if if public builders don't wake up and start doing it themselves as a gateway to ownership for their own product there's no reason they can't do lease options or get these millennials into a house to fall in love with their product like I don't know. There are builders. I think a builder just in Florida sold like an entire community to one of these big oh, yeah. um, landlords. But yeah, the Bloomberg story that I pitched, the story was that these iBuyers were buying homes in a completely off market. Mm -hmm. They're funneling them to these institutional buyers like Cerberus, American yeah. Homes for Rent, Progress that. Homes. And there's a ton. There's um, I, I have to finish doing all the research and it's it's a pain. I like, you know, in the program that I'm using, I'm writing in some cases uh, equations that are a hundred <laughs> lines long, oh my God. trying to capture all the misspellings. It's, it's not easy to find everything that they're doing, but it all happens off market. So realtors, if you're not paying attention, this is behind the scenes yeah. and they're buying um, and it's fast. These institutional raise billions of dollars to, I think, do a few things. I think their original thought after the pandemic was, yeah, we're going to buy foreclosures. And then it's come to the realization that, yeah, nope. <laughs> that's not going to happen. You know what? Maybe they'll end up buying this distressed debt. Maybe, Maybe the government yeah, or some of these banks that. will be like, you know what? Instead of dealing with forbearance, why don't you take over and work it out? That could work. Could work. Um, the new construction looked cute, um, but I do new construction and it's really hard right now. Oh. The, the supply, it's not just wood. I can't, I had a dirt supply chain disruption in Florida. Oh my God. I didn't even know that was possible. <laughs> so windows, shingles, appliances, when uh, I, I, it's more expensive. I just got like basically a 10% bump in price uh, from the builder and, you know, we're partners. So I'm like, yeah, I don't expect you to lose money. It's not like a consumer where I'm like, I said I was paying this price. Yeah. Um, so you have to roll with the punches and there's a lot of risk there. So I don't know how hard they're going to want to I don't know if they're going to buy a builder because there's a lot of risk and that's very cyclical too. True. And now we have iBuyers that just say, hey, we've got the marketing machine, these yeah. artificial intelligence algorithms oh. that are in the background. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah so it's a, it's a funnel. Yeah. Again, and in, in what, what I'm just going to wait until kind of, you know, the Congress or whatever wakes up because what's happening is these marketing engines, AI platforms, technology, big tech, they're, they're getting lead sources. They're being the only buyer at the moment. Hey, we'll give you X and we'll close whenever you want. And then, oh, by the way, in the same conversation or, you know, after they hang up or whatever an internet hang up is, they're going off to Cerebus and going, hey, I got another one. You're going to give me cost plus yeah. or whatever. And, and this yeah. inventory is never seen by the public. You and I never see it. And Wall Street has access to ridiculously cheap money. 1.99%. Um, yeah. Two, two correct. And, and something that consumers can't even compete with and where they're going to run into problems and why I wanted, I'm really glad that Bloomberg paid attention to me because yeah. um, I've been talking about this with media for a while. And I don't know if, I don't know why it wasn't interesting. I was excited that they finally, finally understood. I'm like, listen, part of the problem with this is the stuff that they go after is typically FHA loan limit stuff. It is the first time. Oh, buyer absolutely. Stuff. Without question. They're not buying five million dollars homes along the coast so yeah. when that stuff comes off the market and you're in a market like i believe when the when car released their average time on market and uh, the months of inventory there was almost no county that had more than two months of inventory on the market mm -hmm. and the time to close uh was like seven to ten days on market it was nothing nothing so things are moving fast so when you have these wall street companies show up and they're taking them off market forever Man, that's a bummer. And we've taken a decade off of building. And not only that, we've taken a, taken a decade off of land development. So yes. as the builders sort of work through the lots that they bought at the bottom, um, I don't know what they're going to do. 
I, I have builders in Florida just saying, we ran out of inventory. We're done for six months. There's nothing we can do. And they can't pre-sell inventory because yeah. the supply chain is so disrupted. They don't know how much it's going to cost yeah, to build price it. Yeah. Um, over the next month. I'm not kidding. Yeah, so no, the sure. land prices has gone up crazy in Florida. And, you know, California's the same. It's just expensive and hard to build. And the skilled labor is a real problem. Yeah. When you start building for a decade, and if you were a skilled laborer in California, you went somewhere else. What did you do? You got some another different job. Yeah, the people need. Yeah, to, we move. have a we have a we have a skill problem, a labor problem, a trades problem. Uh, they're they're aging. You know what? Out. I'm really, I'm really excited though because I go to nerdy events and stuff. I really <laughs> am excited about 3D printed. I'm really excited yes. about it. And builder, builders are finally talking a little bit more about this. Um, Clayton Homes is owned by Berkshire Hathaway. Yep. So like one of your largest uh, manufactured home companies is owned by like a ginormous investor that is going to, of course, be investing in factory uh, manufacturing of homes. So I think wall packs, modular homes are going to have to be the future where you've got builders doing the vast majority using robotics and plants and then shipping yeah. it on site. Yeah. I think that's just where we're going to have to go. Yeah. One of the words you used in your uh, about three minutes ago that I just want people to hear again and talk about is once Wall Street takes an affordable home off the market and it becomes a rental, it's gone. You said forever. And I agree with you, right? A lot of these people have always said, they, like they looked at Wall Street in 08, they bought a bunch of cheap inventory and like, just wait until they sell. Like folks, why would they sell? At this point, they have no money in the deal and they're getting six, seven, eight percent what what's going to cause them to sell? What, what, why would wall street sell? So again, I really do think every time wall street gets a home, it's gone forever, at least out of, you know, homeowners. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't know why they would sell at this point. It's not their money. They don't care. They're just offering a rate of return with an yeah. asset that goes up with inflation. Yeah, exactly. Why so, would they, they just go borrow against it every 10 years. I mean, what, what, what right. Doing? It's, it's sticks, bricks, cement, windows, all the things that go up when inflation increases. So yeah, they're winning at life. And you know, because we're in California, I can actually bring this up with you. SB 1079, are you aware of that all? Not that That was one, the no. change of the four. It was a change of a foreclosure law. Oh, where, yes. Yeah, oh, what a mess. Our poor trustee sale buyers are really having to be very careful. So if you're not familiar with it, if you buy it at the courthouse steps, a foreclosure, there's a redemption period where somebody has, I think it's 15 days to show up and raise their hand, a yeah. consumer, nonprofit government entity saying, oh, I'm going to buy that for $1 more or the same price. And they have 45 days to close uh, on that after they raise their hand, but there's no guarantee that they will. Um, there's a lot of gray areas who's responsible if there's a fire and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, so it's gotten a lot harder um, for Main Street to compete. But they did some really weird things talking about institutional in that bill, trying to make it harder for them to buy. That was, and you're like, yeah. why would you do that? It completely ignores reality of what really happened. And the bill wasn't ill-meaning. I know that they were trying to do a good thing, trying to stop Wall Street from buying houses, but it's already done. And yeah. it ignores that in 2012, if Invitation Homes and the, a bunch of companies showed up at the time, we would have lingered in California a lot longer. No, so I, they, I, they yes. came in and bought REOs, took them off market, fixed them up and rented them. If they wouldn't have bought in mass, because as an investor, we were buying at the trustee sale. We thought they were nuts buying at full market value they were buying under a different equation because yeah. they were taking it off the market completely. So exactly. I just don't want to, our community forget the history, like wall street. I know they're pain in the butt sometimes, but they played a very important role in absorbing that inventory. We would not have recovered as quickly. Oh, I remember. I'm, I still remember the day they showed up. Right. Cause I was buying houses every week, certainly every other week for 
18, 24 months, cheap, cheap, 20. I think the cheap, the cheapest one I ever bought was 28 grand, but I was routinely buying oh for $40,000. I mean, like, it's not just lots. I mean, it's like a freaking functioning three bedroom, two bath house, like with well, a roof and everything. It was crazy. Um, and then one day there was no new listing. So in my market, it became a trend. Every Monday, the new, the new postings would go up every Monday. And then one Monday came and nothing came. I'm like, oh, maybe it's a data. You just talked to you. Oh, it's a data problem, right? They didn't load it correctly. It'll show up Tuesday. Nothing. So I start calling all the REO agents who knew me by then because I was a buyer who closed. And they're like, hey, this invitation homes or this other thing, they just bought the entire list, sight unseen. I'm like, mm-hmm. they can do that? You know, they can do that. You, you know, you're, you're routinely giving me, you know, 10 grand less than list. They bought at list. I'm like, oh, the world just changed. It did. And, you know, they're like guy buyers. You just really have to watch what they're buying. And they're after the same thing. So I think in this cycle, investors might have to get a little bit more savvy about building. And I know it's hard right now, but taking those two ones and making them three twos, exactly. looking at accessory dwelling units, it's time for us to get scrappy. This is what Main Street does. Yeah, It's just, you've got to pay attention to the data. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I am, I'm telling everybody right now, because I'm an open book, that's just how I roll. I'm only looking at single family homes now, um, certainly for the next two or three years, because what I see coming, I don't, I know you don't generally play in apartments, but let me just run this by you. I actually okay. think there is interest rate risk that multifamily markets, you know, low cap rates aren't seeing. Uh, Cause I don't think we're going to have, you know, 30 year mortgages, you know, under 4% forever. So if you are no. buying assets at cap rates in California at three and a half, and, you know, the 30-year mortgage or whatever goes to five and a half. What happens to the value of that property, right? That, uh, that changes. So, yeah, I am not touching multifamily. I'm only touching mm. residential. I'm only touching 30-year debt. And I will buy as many as I can that cash flow. What do you think? Uh, yeah, my, my dad was speaking at the Apartment Owners Association. And one of the first questions was, uh, are we in a bubble in the apartment space. And this was actually, I think it might've been three years ago. And he's like, well, I'm not an apartment expert. So I'm going to ask you this. Would you buy your current asset at its current valuation? And there's rolling laughter across the audience. And he's like, he's like, that's, that's a bubble. Yeah. You've answered your own question. Yeah. He's like, so, you know, maybe, yeah, that's, maybe that's not why you own it. Maybe you bought it cash and you just want the cash flow and you don't care. I don't know. Yeah, There are other reasons, but yeah, exactly. No, I, I agree with you. And I know a lot of investors are stressed too about the, the feds looking at things like changes in 1031 exchanges. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah there's a lot of risk right now. So investors are, in, are sweating a little bit. California doesn't always play balls with the federal rules too. Like um, no, for sure. Uh, opportunity zones. Yep. Opportunity zones is a federal law, but California's like, no, we're going to go ahead and need those taxes now. So, <laughs> <laughs> But I, I will point out though, if the 1031 exchange does change, I'd like to point out that opportunity zones are for capital gains of any variety. So if you want to get out of Bitcoin, um, I've had lots of conversations with uh, investors in stock like Tesla and Apple that got in early in the Bay Area. I'm like, you know, you can move that into real estate, right? They're like, what? I'm like, you're welcome. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I just saved 53%. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I and I like talking about stacking strategies. I'll give you a great example. Sure. The entirety of downtown Riverside is an opportunity zones. And I was playing in property radar. Um, I was like, okay, I want to find an R3 lot where okay. on the site currently is a single family home, meaning that Ooh, it just yeah. has never been fully uh, maximized. Yeah. There were way more than I thought. So really? 
Okay. With the new ADU law, you can take a single family home and turn it into a sixplex. Really? Six? Yeah. By law, you can take it. So that lot being an R3 yeah. with a single family home, oh, you can gotcha. already build two more. Right. And then with ADU laws, you can build an ADU for each property. So, got yeah. it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's how you got this. I know it's nerdy, but no, that's, hey. I'm going to do that. I'm going to look up in my market for R3s in areas that I have not done that. So you've given me something that I will do today. Well, and just, it's a little nerdy. Every county sort of, you have to know how they list like in LA, uh, triplex lots, there's variations, but it's LAR3. So as long as you know sort of how they code it, that's how you search for it. And then you look up, up SFRs and that's how to find it. There you go. I like that. Easy enough. Ah, oh, this has been so much fun. Um, I guess when you're looking at what's going on in your market, what are you doing with your portfolio? Again, you've already said you're getting out of non-warrantable condos. Uh, it sounds like you're moving that from California to Florida. Is that kind of what you're doing? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not selling everything. Um, there's some stuff that I'll never be able to replace. Like I bought my last rental in 2014 was a house that was built in 05. It's been such a great rental and I just had really good luck. I really love keeping the same tenants as long as possible. Yeah. Man, I've had a great run. So uh, I have a handful here, but I'm done selling here. And then, yeah, I've been building brand new houses in Florida the, the rents have gone really well. And I'm able to exchange that 250, 600 square foot condo for a brand new house in Florida that rents for a lot more. And something that I, I just believe in the market. Florida for now is the number one uh, net migration as yes. well as uh, immigration. Yeah. yeah no so problem. I just think they're going to grow. And I'm parked there long-term. I'm yeah, a long-term yeah. guy. Yes. So, so uh, Florida is a big state. You want to sh share what city you're in or cities you like? I'm in several. I've been in Orlando. I've been in Leesburg. We're in the Southwest Florida market. Okay. Um, I want all you California investors to know how rad it is. We have so much great data here. It is yeah. not the same in every state. Yeah. Um, it, it is much harder, but I'm there for a very specific reason. Uh, my father's been investing there and I have family there for over 20 years. So do, do your homework. And uh, yeah, it's hard to, especially with areas like that, that have hurricanes, you have to be careful and have a network that you really trust and like, but yeah, yeah the numbers just make sense there that, and they just don't hear. I, I can still, I can buy a lot for under 20 grand in California, even in rough areas. No, I, can, yeah. and I can't buy a lot in Fresno for under 20 grand. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, probably 60 grand. Uh, and we'd be remiss if we didn't get property radar a plug. Yeah, Property Radar, we are now national. So if you didn't know, um, we're known for uh, the five Western states for closure data, but now we have rolled out nationwide. Um, so as a lot of investors are looking to get into other markets, uh, it's fun. I love teaching nationwide and uh, going into different markets and hearing what they're doing. Um, it's, it's so much fun and it is so different and every market is a little bit different and property rate is a great way to start. So yeah. if you ever need any help, um, I am typically in the community, um, community.propertyradar.com. If you have questions, I have, I buyer marketing posted in there. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the fun ones is sunday.com. If you're not familiar with them, um, they, they've put out a letter that a lot of investors are really upset about because it threw local investors under the bus saying, Oh, you're probably getting contacted by a bunch of people lowballing your offers. Yeah. It was, and then what investors don't know is that they wholesale 
to local investors. <laughs> of course so, they do. So dirty. I've got that letter in the community. If you've never seen Open Door, the letters that they're sending out to get an idea of what they're doing, they're doing a beautiful job. So yeah. those are in the community. Um, I also have quick links. One of my favorite things of Property Radar is I can build criteria and put a link in our community. And if you're a subscriber, you click the link and the criteria pops up. So nice. you and I have been talking about iBuyers. Yes. I have already pre-built to where you can hit the link. It'll open up and you just change the city and you can see what iBuyers are in Fresno. Very, very cool. Well, what is that link one more time? Uh, community.propertyradar.com. And then there's a free three-day trial at propertyradar.com too. If you've never played, give yourself a good three days to really explore. It can be a little bit intimidating, but I just tell investors just to really, it's not really good for the beginner investor. I think they tend to get lost, but for the investor who really knows what they're after and what their niche is, we say chocolate versus peanut butter. Chocolate is what you bring to the table. Okay. It's far easier on the peanut butter, the data at Property Radar. We're a match, but if you're not really clear, it's easy to get lost because there's so many data points. So yeah. uh, we pre-append phone numbers and emails. Um, it's it's just a great resource. It changes the game when it comes to investing. So Absolutely. if you haven't played, go play. There you go. Well, Aaron, thank you very much for doing this. I had such a great time. It's it's kind of nice reliving the history and, and talking about the future at the same time. And I appreciate it. Have a wonderful day. Remembering it was fun. <laughs> Thanks.